0: everybody happy sweatbox day and welcome to the news agenda with me fleet street fox and today i'm joined by the mirrors deputy political editor ben glaze good morning ben Morning, now this is the people's pay-per-view so get into the comments ask us your questions we'll try to answer as many of them as we can those of you listening later on podcasts will just have to drive join the conservative party and vote for the least bad option instead So what have we got today? Well, the mirror has splashed on the fact that at least one ambulance crew and patient had to wait an astonishing 27 hours to be handed over to A&E in Wales last month. It seems the crisis in the NHS is getting horrifically worse, with waits reported of 26 hours in the West Midlands, eight and a half hours in London, and still nine hours in the North West. And all of this is in June. So it happened in sweltering heat. Now, Ben, it, it seems incredible, really, to believe that one ambulance crew would have to wait for, what is it, two shifts, three shifts to hand over, two shifts probably to hand over a patient. What on earth is going on?
1: Yeah, well, this is all down to systemic failures, really. So when an ambulance collects a patient, um, and obviously there are targets for, you've got to, depending on how ill the patient is, uh, the time by which the ambulance has to arrive and get the patient onto the ambulance, then, of course, they're taken to hospital. Um, And then the ambulance and the paramedics, they try to offload the patient. Now, if there's too many people in A&E, they can't offload the patient. So the, the paramedics are stuck with the patient in the back of the ambulance. So it must be clear that these won't necessarily be life threatening, you know, heart attack must be in the cardiac arrest room. Um, There'll be other ailments, perhaps less uh, emergency ailments. But because of delays in A&E, they can't discharge people from A&E into other parts of the hospital because of wards being full. And the wards are full because of delayed transfers of care, DTCs, where people can't be taken out of hospitals and for example, go back to their care homes. That's because of the social care crisis. It all feeds through. So if you one of the examples it's in this piece by um, my colleague Lucy Thornton, who's based up in, uh, up in Yorkshire. I the example cited is a lad who breaks his leg on a football pitch, playing football. Um, he waits for hours for the, the ambulance to get there. Then, of course, he's in the back of that ambulance, for hours waiting to um to be offloaded into uh into the hospital now i'm sure he will have had painkillers so you know that will assuage his pain somewhat but what it won't do is get him into the treatment room where they can set his leg can have the x-rays and all the rest of it so it really does feed through the whole system
0: yeah it's uh the thought of people being there in pain for a long time as well people falling at home their life may be not permanently in any kind of danger but uh Not able to get up, not able to urinate, not able to drink, not able to get themselves an ibuprofen while they're waiting, if they're on their own, Um, and being in pain for a long period of time. Can't move on the hard surfaces, getting cold, all the rest of it. Now, keep asking asking your questions, everybody. What do you think about this uh, ambulance problem? Do you think it's a situation where it's to do with funding or is it the fact that the NHS is just not sorting itself out properly? Let us know. Now, there's a case study on that page of a man who watched his mother call an ambulance with breathing difficulties. And then as she waited 13 hours for paramedics to arrive, he saw her have a stroke and then a heart attack. And by the time the crews did arrive, she'd died. This is also part of the problem, isn't it, Ben? Because not only is someone waiting to get an A&E, while the crew are there, waiting to hand over because the medic has to hand over to another medic with the notes and everything else while the crew are doing it they can't get and do someone else so in wales last month there was one crew for 27 hours not helping anybody else but stood there in a queue and i've been in those queues trying to go into a and e it's just you know if they're off the ambulance you're just in a corridor and there's just 30 people in a corridor all with an ambulance crew Stood there, um, keeping an eye on them if anything does go wrong, but basically stood there twiddling their thumbs fundamentally. Um, and it means that the unions are saying that people are dying because of this.
1: That's right, it's a very serious situation, and it is a sense of crisis because of the way that it does all feed down through the system. You know, I'm, this has been going on for years, I mean, it might be more egregious now. I remember about 12 years ago, um, I was living in Cardiff, playing a cricket match, and the pitches that we played on were right next door to the Black Weir Ambulance Station. So that's, I think, five or six cricket pitches there. And one of the, um, the teams that we were playing, there was a team of teachers, and he slipped on the boundary and broke his collarbone. Now, we were several hundred yards away from the ambulance station. He had to wait, I think it was three hours for an ambulance. <laughs> and that because the, the hospital, it was only a mile and a half away, the, the big District General Hospital in, um, in Cardiff. They we were all backed up, all the ambulances in the crews were all backed up waiting um, to offload patients so they could get out on other jobs, other like sheriffs. And, you know, I can't remember what we did with this poor chap who, uh, who did his collarbone, but it was probably paracetamol and towels, I guess. But, yeah. you know, this has been going on a while. And the reason I raise that example is if, if that was happening 12 years ago, Why has nobody done anything about it so that these examples, these case studies aren't still happening, so that there is a better system so that you keep moving people along? You know, you you do need to clear the system. So more efficient way of doing it is, you know, those paramedics, they don't want to be sat in a corridor with no disrespect to the patient or with the back of the patient on the back of the ambulance. They want to be on to their next one because as soon as they can pass over the patient, to the more specialised um, yeah, medical hospital, hospital yeah. they can get back out and start helping people.
0: Yeah. yeah. Now, Bethany's comment is there says that this is all down to funding. Susie says, what a great name, by the way. But we bring her comment back up again and I can actually read it before it disappears. Susie says, thank you. So, how terrifying what this Tory government has done to our ambulance services, NHS, social care, community services, total incompetence and Tory negligence, lives yeah. will be lost. Ben, the example you gave there was 12 years ago and it's been 12 years. Since we had uh, the Conservatives in power, pretty much, um, and but the government says in that in that comment in their story there, they said they put 150 million pounds of system funding in place. But what on earth is system funding, and is 150 million even going to touch the sides?
1: Yeah, I, I you know it's my job to know what system funding is. I've got no idea. I can't tell you, what I'm afraid. <laughs> um, I suspect no. I don't. I don't suspect it will make a big deal. And in the interest of balance, we should of course say. Um, but as Susie's point um, on the comments there about it being the Conservatives, yeah absolutely that's, that's a fair comment for England, of course do you remember that the example I raised and the worst case here, the twenty-six thousand fifty-eight minutes, that did happen in Wales which has of course been run by Labour since the, uh, the Welsh Assembly, now the Welsh Government Senate, was set up in 1999 and you know I think that does say that the whole system across the UK, um, certainly in Britain, is, is in crisis and that more needs to be done. So it's not necessarily just a party political thing, although obviously a lot of it does come down to funding and how funding's allocated. Mm. But it is on, you know, it's on all parties to get a grip of this in their yeah. constituent parts of the UK.
0: Where does Wales get its NHS funding from?
1: Oh, well, of course, yeah, that's a block grant. You know, but then it is decided, well, it can decide how to spend it. But yeah, the money does come yeah. from, from the central government.
0: And you've still got the, 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 the problems of a social care service is not connected to the health service and not enough staff coming through, and not enough hospitals because those 40 odd we were promised is, haven't appeared. Uh, now, Ian says, try living in a rural area. Uh, We have long waiting times due to location and not enough ambulances for the size of land they have to cover. I had a very similar problem uh, as you, Ben, not quite the same, but a couple of years ago, um, someone who was at my house and who was an older gentleman fell over and dislocated his elbow. Uh, And so not in any immediate life-threatening danger, but a lot of agony, a lot of agony, and didn't really want to move anywhere because moving it made it feel worse. And all we could do was call an ambulance for him, I live in a rural area. Looks a bit like that. Um, And all you do is call an ambulance and give him some paracetamol and a cup of sweet tea. And I think the ambulance said just give him, the 999 hand said to give him a couple of paracetamol. And I think I actually put four down him because it, it was just taking so long. And it took about two or three hours, I think, for an ambulance to come. And that was a couple of years ago at a weekend. But then when he got to the hospital, there was another couple of hours waiting in that corridor outside and then he had to go in for scans and everything else but it wasn't until the paramedics got here that he could have proper pain relief so it was hours and hours without with just some paracetamol that was the difficulty uh and at least the paramedics did have some proper drugs on them but then again yeah. the actual proper treatment he needed was in the hospital and nowhere else so it's uh it's not something that's particularly simple to deal with unfortunately now keep asking your questions everybody um it does seem to be there's a there's a fairly big consensus that this is all conservative funded uh funding problems but as ben pointed out there it happens in wales as well although their health grant does come from central government um and it's there, there is some other stuff going on obviously here so what's your experiences have you had long waits at a have you had problems with anything going on there let us know um and this is all going to get worse it would appear because while these are figures from june the last month, uh, and they're from ambulance crews who've written down in a survey their worst waiting times. Um, We're coming up to a heatwave, which is going to make people who are ill already even more ill, and it's going to make people who are fine ill as well. And there's a survey in the paper that's showing that two in three of us, almost, 61%, have no faith that if we call an ambulance, because we've all heard these stories, Ben, if we call an ambulance, no one is going to turn up for hours. So the unions are blaming it all on Tory cuts, but is, is there, I mean, we do know that there's some more stuff to it. What what else can be at fault here, Ben?
1: Well, I think to link it to tax, one of the dispiriting things at the moment, of course, is the Tory leadership race, where we now have, I think, a dozen candidates as of this morning. And no one's talking about how we're going to fund the NHS. No one, to be fair, is even really talking about how we're going to reform the NHS. If you know, if they make the argument it's systemic problems and it needs to be more efficient or we need to change it or something like that. The entire argument for Tory leadership is about tax cuts. And Sajid Javid, who, until not very long ago, of course, was the health secretary um, and pushed through the health and social care levy, i.e. the 1.25% rise in national insurance, um, is now disowning it and saying he's going to get rid of it. Um, you well, know, that was going to
0: pay for the NHS for three years, wasn't
1: it? Exactly. That's, you know, he, he called, I mean, the rumour has it as well, that he actually wanted more. Um, But now in trying to draw a dividing line between him and the former Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, who's uh, currently one of the favourites for the leadership, Uh, he's he's disowning this tax rise that he pushed for. Um, So, you know, it's not about how we're going to make the NHS better. It's about throwing red meat to Conservative MPs and Conservative grassroots, who, of course, Mm -hmm. will decide who our next prime minister is yet again for the third time running. Um, it's, it's about that rather than what we're going to do for some of the, the major things that are facing us as a country, one of which is, of course, as we've highlighted on the front page today, the, the ambulance crisis.
0: Yeah, you'd think there'd be some grown-up conversations happening, wouldn't you? But uh, no, it seems still not. Now, Leslie says, how come the NHS is able to manage when we have a different-run government? I put the responsibility down to current 12 years of austerity, but also down to the centralisation of services, which, of course, the last Labour administration had a part in as well. Isn't it time we went back to local small hospitals with A&Es that support those who need care but not the urgent specialised care? Uh, Cottage hospitals um casualty units of some sort you know uh, urgent care units and stuff like that where you can go in and get treated i've had to use urgent care unit once or twice with my daughter and they're brilliant but but they have got an urgent care unit because they used to have an a&e and that shut down you know that's got a long way away now so it's it's a money-saving thing to have an urgent care unit instead of an a&e what you need is the a&es Plus, urgent care units further out. So like Ian says, if you're in a rural area, if you're in Cornwall or somewhere, you know, there's only two hospitals or something between all the people there. Um, And actually have cottage hospitals, perhaps, which is a really good way of getting patients back into the community, wasn't it? It was Once you were better enough to get out of hospital but still needed some assessments or some help before you get back home or go into your care home or someone needed respite care, you went to a cottage hospital. For a little bit of recovery, for an extra week or so before you went home, that made so much sense. And they shut all those down because funding. Uh, and I believe that happened under the Labour government. So perhaps Leslie's got a point. We'll have to see. Is there any? Have you heard any whispers about cottage hospitals or more more urgent care units, Ben?
1: Not so much that. I mean, everyone does talk about in reforming the NHS. If you've got a broken arm, do you need to go to the massive hospital that also deals with heart surgery? lung transplants brain tumours or do you, you know would it be better if you know if you're a kid playing football in school playgrounds today and you fall over and you break your wrist why not go to a smaller hospital that can x-ray it someone can set it and say come back in six weeks and you know and have another look at it um, you do need to go and queue five six hours in a and e um where more urgent cases quite rightly will be pushed ahead of you but it'd be better off i would have thought Go into a smaller unit where you've got on hand people who know what they're doing, but they're not trained to deal um, with, with much more serious cases. Uh, you know, say so someone who broke their wrist several times playing football as a kid. Um, you don't necessarily need to go to the district general hospital that deals with everything. Um, there should be more localized units. And you talk about um, earlier the, the heat wave coming up. Now that's going to put extra pressure because of course, People with respiratory problems, such as asthma, they're going to find it more difficult. You know, I'm making sure I carry my blue inhaler this week and I don't always necessarily make sure I've got it on me. Um, Kids will be out, you know, playing in lakes, reservoirs, streams, rivers. That's that's going to cause problems. They slip or worse. That will put pressure on the NHS. And then, of course, there's the elderly who do find the extreme temperatures more of a challenge. And, you know, if, if it's very, very cold, more elderly people die. If it's very, very hot, more elderly people die. Um, So that's going to put extra pressure in the coming week and perhaps two weeks more uh, in this current heat wave. That's going to put more pressure on the NHS as well.
0: Yeah, they're talking about maybe over 40 degrees in London, South and Southeast uh, by the weekend. So make sure you have six glasses of water a day, everybody, if you're watching this. Now, um, keep asking us your questions. What are your experiences with the NHS? What do you put this down to and what would you like done about it? Because the only real way is for taxes to go up, to spend more uh or to spend it more wisely that could also be an option of course now elaine says the problem with creating more hospitals is there's not enough staff to man them stopping the nursing bursary has dramatically reduced people going into nursing they did the same thing with pharmacists as well elaine Uh, and yeah it just stops people coming through the system which means there's less staff which means you have you know fewer patients that get treated and you have longer backlogs Uh, and it will take years to overcome that if there was a change of government or an attitude tomorrow and they started bringing back the nursing bursary, you've still got, what, five years, Ben, before they actually start hitting the system?
1: Something like that. And there's currently about 100,000 vacancies in the NHS. Um, And one thing that's going to become a massive issue possibly this week, probably next, is the pay review bodies report um, for various public sector professions, and it'll include doctors and nurses, and whether or not what they recommend is taken up by the government. So if the government, I think they said recommended 3% pay rises um, for most NHS staff, more if you were on a particularly lower band, but around 3%, Um, and if the pay review body comes up with 4%, if the government goes with that, and bearing in mind the current rate of inflation is 9.1%, so a 4% pay rise is a real terms cut, and inflation is supposed to be hitting 11% this autumn or certainly by Christmas. So even allowing for that real terms cut, if... The government says yes to a four percent pay rise having budgeted for a three percent pay rise the nhs needs to find about an extra billion pounds um to fund that one percent difference now if there's no more more money forthcoming from the treasury and it's almost certain it won't be because every tory leadership candidate at the moment i was talking about how they you know going to cut taxes not i want to spend more on the nhs then that will have to come from existing budgets within the nhs i.e., you'll have to find it from somewhere else cut something else in order to fund the wage rise, but then if you don't pay people enough money are they going to want to go into the health service as i said already hundred thousand odd vacancies that'll get worse if more people leave because they think they can earn better money elsewhere so it does become well if we don't fund this are we going to make things worse again because more people will leave and mm-hmm. yeah they will
0: <sighs> right well speaking it's like- the morning, oh, isn't it Speaking of Tory maths, um, over the weekend, the dozen or so, however many there are now, Tory leadership hopefuls, made so many promises of tax cuts that it amounted to £200 billion. Now, either they keep spending what they're spending now, which means that that would put us £200 billion in the hole, or they cut public services to pay for it. But £200 billion off public services, don't bear thinking about. Now, Ben, Keir is going to be making that, Point in his speech today, he's setting Labour up as this the party of fiscal responsibility, isn't he? From what he's saying there, he's talking about oh, everything that he's going to promise is going to be absolutely costed out and budgeting. You know where the cash is coming from.
1: Yeah, this I've got to say, this two hundred billion that Labour's calculated is a little bit of trickery going around there. You never, you never. What they've done is taken the various tax and spending, or lower tax. Uh, lower tax rates announced by the various leadership candidates, and instead of taking the highest, they've added them all together.
0: Yeah.
1: So that's a bit dare I say, if We have
0: all of them as prime minister.
1: Yeah, yeah. Then it would come to 200 billion or just that's over. Cool. Right so, um the, the biggest, I think, the IFS Institute for Fiscal Studies, those number crunches I think they found yesterday was 49.9 billion. Um, but if you add, and Labour has got form for doing this sort of thing when uh, when they were in government. Uh, adding things together and including it as one big, you know, spending. If it's ten billion next year and then fifteen billion, or well, that's twenty-five billion, was not because it's fifteen billion. It's fine. whatever. Um, yeah. So the tax revolution that Kia is talking about. Uh, on his feet in about forty minutes, I think actually in Newcastle this morning. Um, one of the eye-catching policies is going to be to remove the charitable status of private schools, and what that'll do is make them eligible for VAT. Um so it'll add twenty percent to the cost of fees, possibly depends how schools try to uh, try to enact it. Um now for some people if you know you're paying I don't know if it's boarding fees, forty two grand at some of the uh, some of the best uh, schools, then an extra, what would that be, eight grand might not, you know, might not make a huge difference to you. Um if it's the sort of fifteen thousand, fourteen thousand day schools and you know, parents skimp and save to do that because they want the best for their children, if that you know, if that's what they want in private education, then that might make the difference between um being able to send your kid private or not. I mean what I think Labour should be saying and are saying of course they want all schools to be good schools. Um the other thing as well with this, it does sort of play to Labour's base in mm. so much as they're going for class warfare here. Let's not, you know, let's not being in doubt about this. Yeah. It's it's not going to harm care politically to have a pop at uh, private schools you know, populated by middle class. It is groups.
0: also a bit unreasonable, though, isn't it, for them to have charitable status because they're, they're, they're businesses. They're businesses. They have huge assets which they manage. They have lots of money, income coming in. They have money they have to spend going out. It's not... I can understand that perhaps some of the original fee-paying schools like Christ Hospital and stuff like that, medieval schools. Yes, I can see them being charitable enterprises originally because someone donated and then someone would get children in. But now, 40 grand a year, people making – it's not a donation to charity. It's not philanthropy. You're not – You're not funding Oxfam by doing this.
1: No, and I I suspect what the schools will end up doing is coming forward with plans for higher bursaries, more bursaries, um, trying to get children from lower socioeconomic backgrounds into their schools by giving bursaries or free places. Um, Whether or not that'll be enough to assuage Labour with this policy, um, I doubt it. And once... Because policies, actual proper policies announced by Labour and Keir Starmer, are so thin on the ground at the moment, um, if they were to then ditch one they've announced, it would look a bit silly. So I think this will be something that that goes into the election manifesto as and when uh, that election is called. Um, it depends on if you know if Labour is able to govern alone. Then yeah, this would happen. Uh, in the likely event of them having to go into coalition with someone, perhaps the Liberal Democrats, maybe this will be one of those policies that gets ditched. No, sacrificed on the altar of greater governance and stable government. Um, but, it, you know, it is, it's a policy for the base of the party, really. And, you know, Keir Starmer is on a roll at the moment after that decision by Durham Constabulary last week not to, uh, to find him or Andrew Rayner over beer um and obviously managing to help get rid of the Prime Minister or a lot of that Boris Johnson managed to do himself. Um, you know, Keir Starmer is in, in a, on, on a roll and I think we'll see that quite a confident upbeat Labour leader when he uh, gets to his feet in Newcastle just after 10 o'clock this morning.
0: Well, he's also got a couple of months to look forward to of just Tory infighting, bloodletting, just chewing chunks out of each other. And he hasn't really got to do anything. They're just going to destroy themselves while they do that until they get a new leader. But when they do get a new leader, out of the ones who've come forward, Ben, who do you think would be the best one from Keir Starmer's point of view? He's obviously lost a lovely open goal in Boris. Mm. Um, but who who would be the one he he would prefer?
1: It's difficult to say that because Rishi Sunak should be an open goal for Labour. You know, wife used um, had non-dom status. Rishi had a green card because, so the allegation goes, he wanted to eventually become a U.S. citizen. Um, worth seven hundred and thirty million pounds, uh, mm. with you know, if you count his wife's wealth as well, because she's the daughter of an Indian billionaire. Um, educated at Winchester College, uh, worked for Goldman Sachs. Served, mugs to rep-
0: served tea to reporters last week in mugs that were £38 each. Yeah. Typical okay. reporters take them a mug, they photograph it, and then go and Google it and see how much. Yeah, it <laughs> it's,
1: it's, it's, goodness, isn't that? it's detail. Um, yeah. I have to say, I wasn't on the doorstep getting a £38. Very
0: camera. surprising um, photographer I'm, or reporter who thought of that. Went, That's a funny looking mug. I wonder
1: yeah. how much that cost them. I'm, I'm glad I wasn't with those because I'm quite bit of a clutch sometimes so dropping a 38 pound mug i
0: mean
1: yeah
0: that's a job for the builder's mug thing isn't it you, the yeah. chip mugs that you just you gather them together and go take those to the reporters not the nice ones not maybe the these process. weren't the nice ones maybe these were the second best mugs
1: um but yeah so rishi in that respect but also you know the public would remember the fact that he devised a furlough scheme um that he, he spent an awful lot of imaginary money, borrowed money. People Wrote money.
0: off billions as well. Yeah.
1: Um, so I think they'd find him a tricky opponent, actually, despite despite some of the advantages it would offer Labour. Um, I think the one they would like to fight is the one who we're expecting to announce um, her candidacy today is Priti Patel. Um, because for all, she talks hard to the Tory rights and she is, you know, popular with the grassroots, the under-deportation policy, supposedly touchstones on Channel Migrants, which has worked so well. We keep getting record numbers of migrants coming across the channel. Um, you know, she hasn't managed to do what she set out to do at the Home Office. Um, you know, she got sacked by Theresa May for freelancing by visiting Israeli politicians, literally behind the Prime Minister's back. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she, uh, a standards investigation by the uh, government's ethics advisor found she bullied civil servants. So mm-hmm. she'd be an open girl, I'd have thought.
0: I think though she if he had a go at her the dispatch box, she'd um, she'd claim he was bullying her, maybe, yes. or feminist you know that he's being misogynist or something that you said or picking her on something. I don't know. I think I have the feeling she'd come over a bit. Margaret Thatcher if she got to be uh, leader. leader.'ll see. I think I think Rishi would be so smooth that he'd make Kia look less smooth and it would play a bit in his yes. favor. Who knows? Now, Mike there just said that the, the Tories candidates all seem to be tacking rather to the right, and even moderates are talking about keeping some of the the more of regressive policies. Um, do we, Whoever wins, do we expect the, the Tories position to stay much as it has been under Boris?
1: Well, I was surprised yesterday when some of the moderate candidates were on the Sunday morning shows and everyone suggested around the policy. Um, I'm pretty sure that some of them don't agree with the Rwanda policy, but realise they can't say, yeah, I ditch it, because that's not what the grassroots want to hear. Because you have to bear in mind here, you and I aren't the audience mm. uh, for this election. You no, know, yeah, become... we're not the
0: electorate.
1: Exactly. Like when, it, when we get to a general election, then they want to appeal to you and me and everyone else in the country. At the very first stage, you have to appeal to other Conservative MPs, because they need to get enough to get on the ballot. We don't even know how many that is yet, because the rules don't get decided until seven o'clock tonight. Then they've got to win enough votes of the Conservative MPs in Parliament to get down to the last two, at which point then they go to the Conservative membership. So 100,000 people in the shires and, and wherever else they may be based, um, they vote on who becomes the leader. So they'll be looking for Conservative policies. And then basically, once you get that, once you get the leadership, you can ditch all that if you want. You know, we've seen that with Keir Starmer. He's done it with Labour. He said, he you know, I'll follow basically a Corbynite agenda. Um, when he was in the leadership election, and now he's ditched it, you know. As well. it's, well, blank piece of paper now. Let's blame oh, wow. the for Start all over again. So, because he needed to win, the Labour members, over most of whom were obviously very pleased with Jeremy Corbyn and the, the hard left policy agenda that was put forward and roundly rejected in December 2019. Yeah. And then Keir, like he said, what he needed to say to get elected as leader, and now he's looking much wider to the general population, the general elect, ahead of a general election, where he needs to win over voters, actual real voters, not just Labour members. And that's mm-hmm. where you need a much more centrist, and that's what he's going for, policy platform. So expect over the next few weeks, you know, Tory leadership contenders to, to say whatever they like in order to win over support of the MPs and then the Tory party members, and then they can start putting out a proper policy platform once they get into number 10
0: yeah so in answer to your question mike they're playing to uh mostly men over 50 who are white and live in the south of england so that's why they're gonna they're gonna be anti-woke pro-brexit um anti too many womeny minority-ish things i would have thought we'll have to wait and see though won't we jamie says do you think a general election should be called let the people decide who look after our best interests i suspect we've got a couple of months jamie of the Tory leadership contest. And then when we have a new prime minister that's been imposed upon us by the gammons of South East England, um, there will be lots and lots of pressure internally and externally for a general election, maybe. But uh, Theresa and Boris both sort of ploughed on until they couldn't go any further. So they both ended up having to call a general election because of the pressure. Not immediately. Perhaps by Christmas, perhaps in the new year, there might be a general election. I think Labour are going to be calling for it for quite a long time. So we'll have to wait and see, won't we? But there's bound to be one at some point soon. So watch this space. Now, keep asking your questions. We'll have a wrap up at the end. What do you think about the ambulance problems? What do you think about Keir's promise to tax uh, the charitable status of private schools? Let us know. But in the meantime, Despite some of the depressing news in the papers today that Ben's led us through, um, there is some good news and we found it for you and here it is. Now, I don't know about you, but lots of us take to our beds when we have a bit of a sniffle. Uh, we complain loudly if our back aches a bit, but not this chap called Andrew Speed, who despite having his leg amputated below the knee in 2012, is still known as Speedy to his mates. He has just climbed a 650 foot cliff known as Commando Ridge in Cornwall, which is also one of Britain's longest climbs, uh, it includes vertical cliff faces. And Ben, he did all this with a prosthetic leg. Uh, with the help of a charity called Climb to Recovery. There's a link for it in our comments if you want to donate to them. It's an excellent cause. Helps veterans recover their mental and physical health through climbing. Now, Ben, he's 44, which is about the same age as me. I couldn't do that with both legs. In fact, I'd probably need a winch if you want to get me up there or at least put a bottle of gin at the top or something. Um, Do you think perhaps it gives – I mean, obviously it's wonderful and it gives all of us a bit of – not, perhaps not hope, but perhaps some idea that we should be a little bit more active and we don't really have the excuse for sitting down on our asses quite as much as we do. But do you think maybe it gives Keir Starmer a bit of hope that, you know, if if a man with any one leg can can climb a mountain, then maybe the Labour Party can do it as well?
1: Uh a full respect here to Andrew Speedy Speeds. I mean, just looking at that little picture at the top of that um that column. So I suffer from quite bad vertigo. <laughs> I'm feeling a bit nauseous just looking at that picture from <laughs> <laughs> like, don't fall, mate. I mean, how the hell he did this? I, you know, me with two legs, I wouldn't even attempt it. No way. So him yeah. with uh, with one leg. Fair play to the bloke. Um, I think it's really great as well the charities that because this has only really happened since Afghanistan. You know, when when we went hot into Afghanistan in two thousand nine, really, um, when troops who previously would have died, um, you know, because of the severity of their injuries, because of advances in medical science they're now surviving, be it with, you know, minus two limbs, three limbs in some cases. Um, And there's a lot of work being done by a lot of charities, including this one, um, to find something for the troops to do, to, you know, try and recover that sense of achievement, um, going into battle, if you like. Mm -hmm. Um, And physicality as well. They spent
0: spent decades in some cases being very physically strong and fit and to suddenly find you've lost a limb or two or, you know, using a catheter or anything else is... Physically, diff- mentally, very difficult to get around. So the fact that they still do want to get up and go canoeing and go rock climbing and all the rest of it, and there's a charity helping them, which I think is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, like and I said,
1: both a- of us have over the years interviewed um veterans who have lost limbs, and the one thing that you know that I've noticed overall was well, not one thing, but their utter positivity. With yeah, this. Terrible thing happened, but how am I going to make the best of it? What am I going to do with the next 30, 40, 50 years of my life? Mm-hmm. And they're not just going to sit around and watch Jeremy Kyle live the a morning. They want to get out, they want to do canoeing things, they want to climb very scary yeah. cliffs. That's um, why
0: they went in the forces in the first place, so they could do all this stuff. Exactly, you know, I, mean, yeah, so, I interviewed a um, guy called Al Hodgson and his wife Pixie, and they were Britain's champion skydivers at the time, and he, would, he had been a para in Northern Ireland to come across an arms cache and uh, had both his legs blown off. Some of his guts came out as well. And he was one of the earliest ones because of the battlefield medicine that was getting saved with extreme uh, life altering problems. And he'd had both legs amputated and um, he just, he got up at, he was in the hospital with all these other sort of crocked veterans and stuff. And he just, I think when his mate got to him, he said, just put a bullet in me because I don't want to go on. But then he recovered And I think the first thing he did, they said they wanted him to sort of sit down, do basket weaving and woodwork and stuff like that. And he went, no. And he got a kayak and just went off and started going back doing sport again. And he was that was like 20, 30 years before I spoke to him. And then I jumped out of a plane with him, which was absolutely terrifying. He loved it. He could do it 15 times a day. And I was like, once, that's it. I'm done for life. I don't need to do that again terrific but he was amazing and it, it took me i think two days to get a quote out of him about his disability because he just he just didn't think like that he just didn't think about the fact that you know uh he wasn't able to walk anymore because he was jumping out of planes he could fly for goodness sake so it's infinitely better wasn't it but uh, yeah marvelous story well done speedy and well done as well but um Climb to Recovery, there's a link for them in the in the comments if you want to bang them a fiver. I can't think of a better way to spend it today if you have one spare. Now, thank you, everybody, for joining us. Thanks, Ben, for taking part and taking us through all this. Please don't fall over and need ambulance today. In fact, not any point in the next sort of five years or so because you're going to struggle. Um, let's hope that there is a general election soon and that when they, whoever it is gets into power is a bit more reasonable than the last people we had in power. How long have we been saying that though, Ben? Um, right. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. If you're listening to us later on podcast, please leave us a review so that other people can find us. And we'll see you all again on Wednesday for another edition of the News Agenda. Bye-bye.